Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 1042. The Wizard Guitar Tour is now underway. Um, January 24, 25, uh, I will be at the Columbus Funny Bone in Columbus, Ohio, and then Helium in Philadelphia, San Francisco after that, Sacramento, Portland, Boston, Denver, Bloomington, Indiana, Minneapolis. The Wizard Guitar Tour is my stand-up tour because I'm bringing my guitar. I'm playing songs. My guitar has a wizard on it. Ergo, the Wizard Guitar Tour. If you go to wizardguitar.com, you can um, get tickets and info for that. Now let's talk about you, the ID10T community, events at ID10T.com. Like Tiff Marchand, who writes... Wanted to share my side business with you and all the ID10T fans. I started a wood-carved sign and art business a few years back, and it's been thriving. I do custom orders as well, but when I'm not working on client orders, I like to make horror and nerd-based carved art. Tiff, I love this idea already. Please check me out on Instagram at Marchand Woodwork, which is M-A-R-C-H-A-N-D Woodwork. Or it looks like you can also go to marchandwoodwork.com. She says, I started this business after having my twin boys and needing to find something to do to make extra cash and fulfill my need to create. Art is my therapy, and I love to share it with the world. It's the best reason to make stuff. This is fantastic, Tiff. A shiny example of make your thing. A shiny example. So anyone else who's making a thing out there, events at id10t.com to share that with us. This episode is John Cho, who uh, has The Grudge. Sam Raimi produced The Grudge which is in theaters now. Um, John and I have met maybe once or twice throughout the years, but oh my God, did I love talking to this gentleman. He is such a, he's just such a great thinker and such a great idea expresser. And um, this was such a pleasure to talk to John. I really hope, he's a person that I really hope we get to have other conversations in the future, whether he comes back on the podcast again or we just go like have coffee and just talk, but what a fantastic fellow. Um, so thank you to John Cho for coming on this episode of the ID10T podcast. You're at a place you just discovered and being an American Express Platinum card member with global dining access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Oh, okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say... Nothing, because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. And uh, now, here's the ID10T podcast number 1042 with Mr. John Cho. Initiating ID10T protocol. Very far behind in uh, toilet 
comfort technology in America, which you would think... We would lead. Amer- yeah, you would think Americans who love sitting around... Yes. ...would love a toilet... We love shitting. That... <laughs> Shitting's great. Shitting's great. Because all the all the intense food we eat here, you love. It's fun to shit it out. But I'm surprised there's not like a Bluetooth toilet yeah. with a, a lap desk true, for, true, and true, and, true. and Bluetooth right. speakers with the the self washing feature. Let me point out that we we have a bad track record because um, there was uh, that period in the '70s when we were doing the. Furry toilet seats, <laughs> carpeted toilet seats, and like um, the resin where you it's could see so like dirty. Yeah, uh, it's so unhygienic. <laughs> it's the dirtiest part of your body <laughs> on something that you can't throw in the wash at, at all. It's just like the comforter in a hotel. It's so dumb. It's oh like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, these, yeah, These don't get washed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's on here. Yeah, fur, furry toilet seats, disgusting. So disgusting. <laughs> but the seventies kind of had that gross. We're about the same age, so yeah. I'm sure you remember some of this. I remember some yeah. of the 70s, and I just, when I think of the 70s, I just think of furry, greasy, mm. like kind of dirty, mm. like thick clouds of smog, yeah. like it's kind of smelly. You're right. Maybe it's the photographs. Maybe. And the way they were developed back then. I also think we, um, part of it is, we all went into a weird color dysmorphia mm-hmm. where we just go, yeah. L- Counters should be avocado green. <laughs> and we all, and mustard, everything should be mustard. mustard. Like, totally. Any color in the mustard family. Yeah. And we were like, burgundy's better than red. <laughs> Way better. Way better. So. To be fair, people were really doing a lot of weird drugs in the 70s. So maybe. That's there, true. That's a real thing. There's something. Because I, you know, like, everything kind of influences everything else. So if people are doing a lot of weird drugs, that's influencing the music. So the music feels kind of dirty and gritty and, yeah, and like, you true. know, like grainy mustard. And so maybe that's then expressing itself visually because people are being influenced by all of this kind of stuff. I don't know. When did, when did you move to the... You were, you were born in Seoul. I was born in Seoul. Uh, I moved in 78. 78, okay. Uh, our first car was a Ford Pinto. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which I later found out was uh, a death drive. <laughs> yeah. I feel like most of the things... Like those those Pacers, the AMC, like the or the Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah, it's yeah. just like all glass and yeah. maybe a lap belt. In retrospect... We as a country were skating on the 50s, on the reputation of the 50s. Totally. You look at those cars, and um, we were like, we're still the best. We're still the best. And we're not working at it. We're not, you know, it was almost like uh, we pointed to our, as a country, pointed to our high school yearbook picture and went, yep. yeah, right? Huh, guys? Still right? cool, 162 right? pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you're obese, uh, and you're 54. <laughs> still trying to hang out at high yeah, school party. Yeah, yeah. Hey, come on, you guys. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, was a very, it was a very strange time, but then gave way to the 80s. Which, of course, I think fondly of because that's the decade that I grew up in. Yeah. But I was not an adult in the – I didn't experience the 80s as an adult. So, yeah. I, you know, and we grew up in, in, in a time where all of a sudden there was a renaissance of comedy and entertainment and cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, it, was a, it, was, it was a young consumer's wonderland in the early 80s. You know what I think about this thing about the other day? I was – Thinking for me, the shift from the 80s to the 90s was such a um, – it was, it was crossing a borderland for mm-hmm. me culturally. 
And then I thought about, you know, how the 2000s are a complete blur to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe, and it just was a stupid thought. I was like, maybe everyone didn't register it for my parents, the 80s or 80, 70s, 80s, 90s, all one blur. But it is kind of all, to your point, um, we understand time periods it's so specific to how old we are. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because when you're young, you have the attention span and energy to really focus on pop culture, what's going right. on. Like, you know, when adults always complain about how, and I now do this, how fast time moves is because we just have a lot of responsibility. And yeah. we don't have the bandwidth. I mean, we have jobs that sort of, and also because of social media, I think... Yeah. People, by and large, are more pop culture savvy than they've ever been, like, all age ranges. True. However, I just think, like, people who work long hours every week are just not noticing. Like, yeah. I, if you were to say, I, I, know, I know how I would identify the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and then around the early 2000s, I just, I don't know what the defining, you know, is it Britney Spears? Like, what's the defining... Yeah. cultural fabric of the early 2000s and I kind of don't know what it is I think the, the answer to that is only technology probably technology yeah, yeah. so it's just which phone yeah which decade right yeah. right you right I mean it's the Nokia was <laughs> late 90s or whatever you yep. know and then the well, what do I remember? The Razor? The Razor. The, the razor, razor was really good. Oh, and then my the, God. I thought it was cool. The StarTech was the coolest one, though, because that looked like the communicator. Right. Star yeah, Trek yeah, communicator, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. that That you started to see how sci-fi kind of influenced technology. Like the nerds who grew up watching Star Trek were like, why are we not making a phone yeah, that right. looks like a communicator? And then they well, manifest so interesting that. that uh, I mean, one of the things that, that in retrospect, I think Star Trek got right was this push towards simplicity Mm -hmm. and aesthetics. Um, And it really was Harbinger of the Future. I mean, that's where we've gone, touching. Yeah. And um, because as a kid, I thought Star Wars had it right because it was... It resembled my world. Right. Switches and dials and... All the analog stuff. All the analog stuff. But it turns out Star Trek was correct. They might have been correct. And that was also probably just for... The the truth of the matter is that might have been some creative vision on Roddenberry's part. And also just like, we can't afford to put... Just just touch a screen. (laughs) Like, just touch a thing. I don't know. I don't know. Just make it as simple as possible. It is a convenient, like, narrative device, too. Universal Translator. Yeah. You know, uh, all that stuff, so. Did, I mean, was it, it must have been kind of head trippy for you to be a part of Star Trek? Oh, yeah. I mean, that must be kind of like, I don't know how someone would even process such a thing. Like, wait, I'm what now? As part of what? I mean, that's just like such well, a couple. You, I, I, I'm imagining that, uh, from what I know about the, you, that uh, this would be true, but I spent like 98% of my imagination was devoted to being in a spaceship as right. a kid. You know what I mean? I was just always imagining I was on a spaceship. <laughs> so to then go on a spaceship is <laughs> very bizarre. Did it kind of did it kill any of the Oh, this isn't really a spaceship. We're just on a no, set. Oh no, no. it's still fine. Okay, it actually good. enhanced it because oh, good. you're like, "Oh, um so yeah, I became more into it um, and appreciated Star Trek even more. Yeah. What kind of stuff were you into when you were growing up? I mean, if you didn't come here till 78, well, you were still yeah. pretty young by then, but yeah. still, if you come here in 78, what's this sort of 
And we don't have internet at the time, so yeah. you go from um, Korean pop culture yeah. to like all of a sudden just American pop culture. Like, what was the transition? Jeez, uh, I hadn't thought of it, but as you ask me, the 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 things that come into my head are, um, and and because of the lack of technology, um, I was consuming a lot of television, um, and Star Wars was. Just huge in 1978. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you can imagine being seven years old in 1978 or six, it was it, it it was such a big part of child culture. And then I guess books to some extent, like because they were given to me through school, and I really kind of learned about what country I was living in through yeah. literature. Um, Oh, this is a little embarrassing, but like I guess my favorite book series as a kid at that time was Little House on the Prairie. Uh huh. And I think there was some kind of uh, um, identifying with these sojourners, the pioneers who were <laughs> going across the country, just the four of them in a or five of them in a. A covered wagon, and that seemed to be what we were doing. Right, yeah. just going to a strange land and trying to understand the. Yeah. How, how do we fit into this? How do we? Okay, now work we're this? here. How does this work? How right. does this place work? Right, right, right. Uh, which is essentially the immigrant dilemma. Okay, now. Uh, okay, I was in Bangladesh. Now I'm in uh, Detroit. Right. How does Detroit work? That's a real. I've never heard that comparison before, but it completely makes sense. It yeah. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And did you um, did you kind of understand? What do you understand as a six year old about the lands? Because from what mm. I read about your family moved a lot, so mm-hmm. you saw a lot of different. You, like every city has its own little subculture, so you right. saw a lot of different stuff in a short period of time. I guess, um, you know, I, I don't even remember being phased much because you're so malleable at that age. Yeah. You're, you're just sort of adapting. But, of course, the biggest difference was you see um, it's almost like your parents uh, – get into a car accident and are handicapped from that moment on because they don't have their primary language. Got it. So it's almost like your parents are in wheelchairs. And and I think that's a, a big emotional thing for children to deal with. They're, your parents, when you're born, they're deities. Mm-hmm. They're all powerful. They know everything. And they do everything for you. And then you go to another place where they don't speak that language comfortably, and then you realize they're not deities, they're human, and then there's a vulnerability to that. Right. You know? I'd never... I Honestly, that point is really brilliant because I feel like um, most of us who, you know, have the experience of our parents just being of the culture that they are, we, they've always been in... Mm-hmm. We don't. We tend to not realize unless something traumatic happens that they're human until we're like adults, and then we kind of we understand frailty and we understand insecurity and we understand all that stuff. And there's like, oh, that's right. You know, my parents just a couple people who like got pregnant and had a kid, just like you know, like we're people. But to understand that from a young age, does that then? Do you feel the responsibility then to sort of like, okay, so I'm going to pick up the torch and help them kind of bridge the gap between the culture that they know and the culture that we're in? Yeah, I think there's a really common immigrant experience too for these kids is um, you end up being the translator and you're thrust into a lot of early adulthood roles, Mm -hmm. um, possibly too early, you know, uh, speaking to the principal, 
explaining things, um, speaking to the plumber, mm -hmm. and, and you become uh, the the English speaker that can you become their conduit to the outside world. And right, it's, it's pretty heavy. Um, only in retrospect can I say that because I have kids, and I think, well, that's kind of a lot to put on a kid who's eight yep. saying talk to this strange adult. Right. Tell me you what know, they're saying. Tell me translate what they're saying. The, yeah. So, um, I mean, that's the, the that's the example that kind of comes to me. But it, it, there's also like sort of explaining because you're you become so much better with the language so much quicker because you're young. Sure. Then you also have to explain a lot of cultural things to your parents, and that feels odd now in retrospect. It didn't feel odd at the time, but. Now I look back and go, I think that was wrong. <laughs> I, don't think... I feel like to a degree, it's, it feels like an enhanced version of what kids do, any, of like trying to explain pop culture to their parents right. anyway, but then there's an extra layer, yeah. there's an extra layer on top of that. I think also it's like it contributes to this kind of, uh, if you want to know what America is, ask children who are immigrants, because we are students, Mm -hmm. That's what we're forced to become. Just we are, we are, we write. We all wrote doctorate theses sure. on what American culture is, and so there is um, there is some kind of interesting benefit from it, and um, some I don't know some 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 observations I may never have come to otherwise. Yeah, because you're not when when you just grow up in a in the same place that you've yeah. always been in, you don't ever have to think of it. Um, from an, you don't ever, you, it, you just experience it. You don't, it's sort of like, mm -hmm. I didn't really understand a lot about English until I started studying other languages mm. and realized, oh, there's a structure to this that I didn't understand because I just never thought about it. I just spoke it. So I yeah. didn't understand what this was. Now I understand that there are tenses. I understand that right. there are cases. I understand right. how verbs and why and how in other languages they work in this way. And it sort of helps you understand that everything does have a structure and then you become more empathetic to those structures because you aren't just you're not just like taking the one that you grew up with for granted yeah you know you really have to understand from an outsider's perspective conversely too it's like i i realize uh i think especially if you don't grow up um in an immigrant community because the, the it's half and half. You could land in Koreatown, or you could be in, uh, let's say, Nashville. Mm -hmm. but, you know, and if you grow up in Nashville, you think that you don't see the culture that your parents came from. Mm -hmm. You only see your parents, and so you sort of don't. You're also restricted from understanding um, the context from which your parents came. Right. You know, so um, especially if you don't have extended family. So you, it, it all becomes like for me, I think I grew up thinking um, Korean culture was my parents only mm -hmm. and that I could extrapolate everything I needed to know from them. But that's not the case. You know, there's obviously personal history that the, the, the culture has changed a lot. And so there is a, a strange disconnect when as an adult you find out that your parents are not the country. Mm hmm. Um, and the country's not your parents right. either. So it's a, I don't know. It seems then, like basic stuff, but, it, you know, you... <laughs> no, but then, and then also, like, when growing up, then you get to that age, you you know, 12, 13 years old, where you start forming your identity, you know, when your hormones kick in and you start forming your identity. Yeah, yeah. And then sort of, like, on top of that, 
well, which, you know, like, what is, what is my identity? Am I this? Am I that? Am I both? What is the, my great grandparents immigrated from Italy in the early 1900s, but their plan was, they had like 11 kids, but I think their plan was like, not so much shun their heritage, but just like, you're all American. We're changing our name to an American pronunciation and you're just going to fit in. We want to blend in as much as possible, which feels sad it feels sad to me that you know mm-hmm. that my you know my mom's last name should be pronounced one way but it was americanized because they were afraid because they didn't want to be yeah. treated weird or differently or whatever yeah that... so, so i imagine i hopefully that has changed <laughs> in the I last hundred so. years yeah i mean part of it is um you know the the, the asian experience um or I should say people of color's experience is different from people who are white. Right. Because uh, I could change my name and it wouldn't matter. Even even though I will say my parents kind of attempted that. They they were like, my birth name is Johan, Joe Johan. And uh, they said, well, from now on, let's go with John. Sure, sure. Um, and, um, and we tried to do that. They, they you know, my father... Uh, Bought a television, a seven hundred dollar Sony Trinitron. I recently looked this up. Uh, I think it's um, thirty seven hundred dollars in today's oh my dollars. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> he asked us to watch television. He said, "I want you to soak this all up." Um, and you watch you watch everything. Yeah, man, a kung fu theater, uh, <laughs> 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 the soaps, what have you. Yeah. And I imagine that this experience is probably because I know you've been someone who has uh, said, "Well, I'm not going to play stereotypical roles. I want to make sure and I want to make sure and represent my culture in a human way and not just in a one dimensional way." And that's that that's incredibly admirable, especially because it's so it would be so easy to go. I just want to work. Yeah. I don't care. I just want to work, and still being able to have the presence of mind to say there's something that there's something to me that's more important, more important for other people who are coming over to make sure that they don't have some of the same experiences that I have, and so they, you know, are able to grow up better. I will say, I mean, thank you for that um, compliment, but uh, it was also just a matter of, um, gee, I don't think I can actually do this. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to go on a set in front of people? And and do that accent and or be made fun, you know, like right. be made fun of. I, I didn't, I couldn't conceive of myself um, being able to get through that day without kind of ruining my own career. Um, so I just sort of sidestepped it, and I got lucky, and um, in that in that it worked out. I don't know if it's luck. I mean, I think I do believe that to a degree people do engineer their luck Mm -hmm. by choices by putting themselves in good, positive situations. And to me, that just sounds like you made an incredibly strong, positive choice for yourself and it paid off because you you believed in you believed in something more than than sort of narcissism of like, just put me in a thing. I don't care. I'll do whatever, you know, which is what this business can do to people. Sure. People constantly feel like they have to compromise their values or whatever, because the pressure of like, well, you don't know when another, you know, I mean, if you had an opportunity, you gotta, you know, there's a, yeah, you're right. I mean, I still struggle with that. And it's not, it's no longer in a racial context, but like, 
maybe I'm uh, being hypersensitive. It does seem like every time I talk to my agents, it's like the subtext is, Cho, <laughs> you do want to keep working, don't you? You know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to shake that fear. Sure. And I sometimes I have to remind myself it's a very c- conscious thing. Like, John, calm down. You've, you have, you, you've been around for 20 years. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, you know, if I were a third party betting on you, I would suggest that it's a pretty good shot that you survive for 21. Right. You know, but, uh, but it's very hard to scrub that out of yourself. It is, especially because it, the, you know, the business essentially squeezes every insecurity that we have about ourselves and about our mm-hmm. futures. And, and of course, it is not only is it an uncertain for our own futures, but now we're at a time where the business itself is uncertain because everything is, yeah. is changing and evolving so fast because yeah. of technology and streaming services and whatnot. So it, on the one hand, it feels like, oh, my God, there's from an outsider's perspective who people don't work in the business, they might go, oh, my God, there's more opportunities than ever. And in a way, it feels like, oh, are there, though? It feels like everything's shifting and changing so right, much. Right. I don't know. Well, I feel like career-wise, I'm going through what... Um what people must go through when they first, you know, that you reach your sixties uh, and the, your first friend dies, right? And then you go, "Oh my god!" But in a way, I've seen career deaths. Sure, like you know, you you've been around long enough too, where I like see somebody just a meteoric rise to stardom, right? And then, you know, like seven, eight years later, you're like, you wonder, oh, what happened? Uh, yeah, to that fella, um, he's so talented, but don't see him around anymore. I mean, you know, like it happens. You ju- and you just don't know because it's, you know, we tend to think of, we tend to kind of oversimplify things like, oh, I guess people just stop wanting to work with that person and who knows what happened. Maybe they yeah. had issues that they were struggling with or maybe mm-hmm. they weren't super cool to people or maybe they, mm-hmm. you know, just made different choices. I mean, there were probably a lot of in, in, in conjunction with the things that we can't control, like whether or not people are going to hire you or whether yeah. or not people are going to like the stuff you're making. It's like, who knows? Like, there, there's just so many things that go into the recipe of that. And then after seven or eight years, you don't hear from them. And then year nine, oh, they're on some Netflix show. And now yeah, there's yeah. like, That oh. too. That too. Resurrections yeah. happen yeah. now. Yeah. I'm like, what? They were gone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're just gamblers. Maybe we like the thrill of not knowing. Or well, I think it's just we like doing the thing we like so much. Yeah, that it's worth the it's, yes. It's, it's we yes. we we accept the sort of weird yeah. lifestyle and the ride because that you know the moment. And I've said this a million times: the thing that we actually love doing, we do the least. You know, like if you're a banker, you're probably banking all day. Yeah. If you're an actor, you might you're act just banking for- it up, man. <laughs> you're banking left and right, man. <laughs> if, you're, if you're an actor, you might, if you're lucky, act for like thirty minutes a day if, when you're shooting a thing. You know, well, it's but- preposterous. Not only does it you don't do it very much, but it takes a lot of people yeah. and a lot of money. For yeah. you to do what you want to do. It's the most expensive habit in the world. Yeah. And yet we're, um, you know, we expect to just do it all the time. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, please forgive me if I'm misremembering this because this would have been probably like, oh my gosh, almost 10 years ago. Did you do a show at UCB with Tom Lennon? Uh, yes. Yes. Tom, Tom I remember and, this. Tom Lennon and Matt Myra did a show where they were reading Yelp reviews from a gym. Yes. Jim, uh, the, the 24-hour fitness in on Wilshire and Koreatown. <laughs> and, and, but but they did it as a, like a Civil War, like a Ken Burns yes, style. Yeah. <laughs> they were reading the reviews as though they were like letters to home <laughs> during the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was really fun. That was fun. I remember one review which... <laughs> <laughs> pointing out the presence of broccoli in the shower drain. <laughs> broccoli. <laughs> really stood out to me. How does that, uh, How does that occur? What, does I that, just... What does that... Uh, of all the things that I would think of in a gym locker room, eating yeah. would not be one of... And certainly not taking vegetables into Listen, the shower. I would subscribe to a limited run podcast about how that broccoli arrived. <laughs> <laughs> An origin story, <laughs> cereal about how, how the broccoli got in the friggin' drain. There's an NPR story in there somewhere about how the broccoli made it from whatever you know yeah. farm that it came from. The yeah. journey of like to that drain, and then and, yeah, then, yeah. and, then, and then what happened after? I, there is not one scenario that I can imagine. Something like was someone in a hurry? They just had to like eat quickly while they were. Showering yeah. because they were on at, it was the lunch break and they had to get back to sure. work. I, I, I have no. We've idea. all showered and eaten <laughs> to save to save time. I get it. <laughs> uh, but then you think about well, how do you have to eat broccoli? Well, you tend to like eat it in a bowl, I would think, and you're like right, yeah, it's like trying to. I, I honestly don't. You wouldn't just walk in with a fucking stalk of broccoli and eat it like an ice cream cone. No. Uh, but this is why the, we need the podcast. This is why we need this the podcast. Where... <laughs> this is why we need be like, wow, cereal's really gone downhill. <laughs> First two seasons are really interesting, and now there's a, it's this weird broccoli hunt. I mean, I guess I'll give it a shot. That's what's so interesting about that's happened to podcasting, though, is that when 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 podcasting really kind of blew up like ten years ago, it would tend it tend tended to be more like you know driven by comedy and conversations and that now you see like you know with the exception of like rogan the top nine other podcasts are like murder like investigations right. Boy, and, i didn't see that coming yeah i yeah. mean what a crazy how, who, how could you even have you ever done have you ever thought about doing a podcast have you ever done a podcast no um i i haven't uh thought about it. you know I, I think i'm what what i love about when i discover a good podcast is people are completely open and you can't I, this in particular this form mm-hmm. when it goes into your I'm pointing to my ears yeah. um, it's such a truth filter right you know it's so I, for some reason visually you can pull the wool over people's eyes sure. but you just cannot when you're talking and I am closed off to it's way too closed off and when I hear 
people who are open and comfortable right. with themselves. It's like it's such a marvel. Well, there are also some performers who believe, you know, like if I if the public gets to know me too much as I am, mm. that hurts like how do how do I play how do they see me as a character if they're like, oh, that's the guy that you know, he and his wife went to this place and this place, and their kids do this, and he likes this, and he like yeah. they just know too much about the person, and and they feel like, well, I can't really disappear. And also, you know, like I wonder if sometimes people become actors because they don't want to be themselves publicly. I, I I would agree with you on that point. I mean, I I often think of acting as like we're we're just strippers. We have we have, <laughs> there's and a, there's a you know, acting is our pole. Yeah. and we've been diddled. Please, by the way, please make that your book, John Cho and I, acting is our, acting is my poll. That is that's a fucking that's a be, that's a New York Times number one best selling acting craft book right there. But it's like we don't want to talk about the trauma that led us to the poll. We just want to be on the poll. We don't want to talk about Uncle Brad. It keeps you know? getting better. Well, now that we're talking about it, no. But I mean, is it you know for you was acting. Um, what, what was it was it an escape or was it a you just like what was the what was the call you know what i think is uh, the hindsight of being ancient um <laughs> but the i think the the thing that i responded to most was um working with people right. on something fun right I, I think that's what it comes down to because there are other forms of art that I, I'm interested in, like, you know, uh, I love reading or playing music and things like that, and, and uh, or painting. You know, I, I used to draw all the time as a kid, but what was interesting about acting was it was social, and now that, now that I'm older, I look back and I go, that's the best thing yeah. uh, about all these experiences. What's the common thread? When you get a good cast and crew together and you... Make something. Hopefully, it's good. Let's just say it's good. Right. You can. You. Oh my gosh, the chest puffery. You feel so right. Good. And we did it together. Right. Because you can't do it solo. Right. You know, it's such a big thing to do. You can't move this boulder with just you know two hands. You, right. You got to have tens and tens of hands pushing it. So I think th- that is the primary pleasure for me. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think people do tend to forget that it's a collaborative process because it, you know, especially especially during award season, yeah. it focuses so much on individuals. Yeah. But those individuals, as great as, as great a work as they do, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're a great actor if you don't have a great editor and great lighting and a great director and great co-stars and great, you know, like there are yeah. so many things... And I think sometimes we forget that this, you know, the art form of film and television is, it, it is a group effort. It's like no one person. Yeah. Even if, even if one performer is like better than everyone else in the thing, it's like they still, everyone had to come together to make that thing. It's funny. As a young man, I was so into the idea of film authorship, you mm-hmm. know, because I just, these, these greats, um, uh, seem to have such a personality in there. And now that I'm older, I go, oh, that's a film by. That's a tough... But I'm, I I don't object to it necessarily, but I, I also am uncomfortable with it. Right. Like if I directed a film, I'm not sure that I would want 
to say a film by. Right. Because um, there's so many people involved. There's just so many people. But I will say the director, the one, the, the one thing the director does have to do is sort of captain the ship. Yes. Make sure everyone's on the same page. Make sure everyone, make sure that they can answer all the questions that come up. Make sure everyone's moving in the right direction and hopefully yeah. has the same goals and sets the emotional tone for everything. They're certainly the most, um, I mean, they, they certainly have the most power in affecting the outcome right. of, the, uh, of a film, uh, by far. Right. You know, and they're also like a different personality because they're actually willing to say yes or no mm-hmm. and to pick Right. Pick which hat. Right. I mean, I could, I, 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 that could be a seven day ordeal for me, flip flopping on hats for the character. <laughs> but a director just this goes, could go in a million hat directions. <laughs> I don't know. Well, especially also if you if you work in any other aspect, you could just say to the director, I, "You just tell me what to do." But yeah. who? The director can't say that to anyone. The director's got to be like, well, I mean, unless they're getting notes from a yeah. studio. But in general, they, in theory, really kind of have to be like the final word on everything so yeah. that everyone else can go, hey, maybe this movie sucked because that the director told me to do X, Y, or Z. I just did, you know, I just did what they told me to do. I don't know, but the director can't. I often think, like, with my favorite directors, I go, um, it's like being told a bedtime story yeah. by a voice you like, you know, by a per And, you know, every, anytime I s- settle in for a Quentin Tarantino movie, it's like, oh, this is going to be good. Right. You know, and I'm rubbing my palms together because I know he has a personality to his storytelling. Right. And Scorsese, I'm just, I guess I'm thinking about people from this year. but Right. I wonder, uh, I'm curious to ask about, because anytime I've worked on a show, that it worked on something that has kind of stuck for a little bit, and I'll be out in public, people will be like, oh... You know, singled out or talking to, like they yeah, shout yeah. the name of the show. But that's just a project that I work on and not me. But when you, but when you play an you think iconic, Brad Pitt gets that. <laughs> Meet your black bro. <laughs> I feel like no. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. It's Mr. Smith, everybody. And Astro, motherfucker. Snatch. <laughs> hey, snatch. Yo, Ad, yo, Fight Club! Yo, Fight Club! I can see Yo, Fight Club. I don't see Ad Astro, motherfucker. I don't feel like that bro watched Ad Astra and really processed all of all of it. I feel like maybe not. But when you play, but, but, but when you play an iconic character like a Harold, yeah, and then people associate you with that guy. Yeah, and yeah. Are, are and and you're out in public. Was there any kind of like at first? Oh my God, this is so amazing! And then oh, here's the weird curse of that: is people shouting lines, shouting this name at me in public, yeah. like seeing me as that guy and not me as John, oh, who yeah. was an actor who portrayed this guy. Well, there's also like I, you know, I didn't uh, because I found acting late in life. I didn't have a whole lot of ideas about what it would be like, mm-hmm. and so it really took me by surprise. Um, my first brush with fame was I had one line in American Pie, mm-hmm. which was a children, uh, an R-rated teen comedy from about a man who has the, sex with a pie from the <laughs> from the last millennium <laughs> about a boy who has sex with a pie. <laughs> uh, that's literally that's the pitch. <laughs> What's it about? That guy fucks pie. Uh, but you know, I 
I said this line, uh, that chick's a MILF, and MILF, um, and it, th- this film was just humongously popular in a way that I, I can't even see a comedy yeah. being uh, today. And um, so people were just shouting at me all the time, MILF, MILF, and they still do it to some extent. Um, but it seemed... Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, got kids here? Could you not... Uh, maybe? There was a tone of aggression to it that sure. I didn't love, and... Um, but it also, I think for me, in my brain, I always thought it would be being famous would be, uh, and I wouldn't call that being famous, but being uh, being recognized, it would it would be uh, right this way, sir. Right. Yeah, your table is <laughs> right here, Mr. Joe. Uh, not just shouting. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just aggressive <laughs> shouting. <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah. Please don't shout milf at me in public. Can I ask you a Brad Pitt question? Please. You've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I st- I've not seen it yet. You've not seen it yet? Okay. And ma- mainly because when... He- here's what happens. Uh, every time my wife and I... And we are, we are go-to-bed-early type people. Yeah. We'll pull up a big movie like this. Yeah. And we're like, how long is it? Ah, let's just watch like an 82-minute stupid horror movie that we're going to forget tomorrow. I feel the responsibility of it. And I know, you know, maybe this is blasphemous that I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure it's great. But I also, but at night when we're in bed, it's just like, I don't know. We just kind of like to watch dopey stuff. You know what it is? Um, you're saving the Irishman for an anniversary. It's like that <laughs> bottle of wine. You're like, we can't open this on... It's a fucking Wednesday. <laughs> it's not a special enough day. Yeah. But it's not Valentine's yeah. Day or our anniversary. And yet, you know, we watched a three-hour documentary the other night called Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah. On Netflix. It's like, <laughs> we watched that. It was three hours. That's true. So why couldn't we have just watched Once Upon a Time? Like, I, I, I don't know. I will... I will watch it. I know I will watch it, but for some reason yeah. we've just Well, it's just easy. You it's 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 who you uh think you are. Like uh, I think it all comes down to what you deserve and what the film deserves and your self-esteem. So what's the Brad Pitt question? Am I uh, not going to answer it? Yes. Uh okay, so Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time is very hairy. Mm-hmm. He's playing the 70s stuntman. And uh I found myself wondering, wait a second, did they glue that hair to him to his stomach he's like he's like Burt Reynolds furry maybe he is just that way and he usually kind of well that's my thing I was like I have I, then I started thinking about it and I go I'm very familiar with Brad Pitt's body I know I, and then I've I, seen it a lot I find myself going through the slideshow of all the times I've yes. seen shirtless yeah and I go and I don't he... mind it no no <laughs> you know when he's shirtless and snatch and he's talking in that accent yeah and uh and he's just and Fight Club 2 Thelma and Louise Thelma and Louise yeah, yeah. So I feel like he was very, uh, you know, clean-chested in those movies. So I'm wondering, is he hairy mm-hmm. and shaves, shaved for every other role before? Yeah. Or uh, is he hairless and the makeup department... I feel like i got to Google this. I don't know if I should... Should I do this on Safe Search? <laughs> 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 Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt... Harry <laughs> is Brad Pitt Harry. Let's see. See what we come up with. Brad Pitt Urban Dictionary. No. Um Margaret's Brad Pitt. Yeah. Oh, I can't really Brad Pitt so stressed in vain no, that's not it. Margaret. Now there isn't really I'd really have to do a deep D 
deeper dive. Brad Pitt, hairy chest color shirtless from collectors.com. I don't know if I want to open that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm looking at image searches of him and he's like, he seems pretty. That, that's shaved though. Is it? Yeah. There, I don't there's, know. There's no way. You know, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt has such a great head of hair. There's no way that he's just like a fucking porpoise underneath. That's true. So I think he must shave or wax. He's really good looking. He's insanely. Like, it's it's. He's dumb. really good looking. Yeah, there are some people where it's just like, <laughs> you're not real. You're invented in a lab. People like you don't actually exist. Isn't it... Um illogical and lucky that he's a good actor we <laughs> <laughs> the illogical isn't it <laughs> counterintuitive well, let's face it good, yeah. pe- good looking people are the worst I- I- at what they do <laughs> uh, the ugly people are the best <laughs> And I like the last. Let's face it. Everybody knows, you know. And I wonder if there's some, you know. Obviously, there are exceptions to rules, but I also wonder if there, because Charlize Theron is an incredible actor. Oh my god, yeah, incredible actor. Have you seen Bombshell? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's, boy, it's... I really need to go see more movies when they come out. God damn it! Uh, what are we doing? Uh, yeah, she's really good in it. Um, I think she's phenomenal in everything. And but I think, it, but with the sort of the that kind of idea of like you know beautiful people, I wonder if it's think about it this way: if you're really popular and attractive when you're in high school, everyone kind of comes to you because you're you know like I don't know. It's just this. I feel like the way popularity tends to work. Yeah. And then the people like me who were like, you know, four foot nine going into my freshman year of high school and yeah. brought D&D books to school and was nerdy and, you know, that we are forced to be more introspective because we do not have the luxury sure, yeah. of people of peaking in high school, which yeah. I now am thankful for. Yeah. Uh, and so I wonder if some of that, some of what you're talking about lends itself to that because... The people w- in the shadows are the ones that kind of develop these internal monologues and they think about things more and they, I don't know. I think, you know, there's part, part, part of the answer is like generational. I think of that line from Rocky, um, you know, where uh, Rocky says, I, I didn't have much of a brain, so I had to learn how to fuck, I had to work on my body. And Adrian says, I didn't have much of a body, so I had to work on my brain, uh, which is maybe uh, another era and... It seems to me now with the internet, um, with fame being accessible to every last person on earth, that um, there is something about uh, we want everyone to be attractive. Like every business has a website. Every person uh, has to, uh, uh, you know, if you're going for a job, they're going to check out your Twitter and your it's Instagram. So, it's so weird. And I honestly, I feel, especially as someone who... You know, probably, you know, like we'll, my wife and I will start the, hey, let's have a kid process soon. And it, the thing that freaks me out so much about it, and you have two kids, so maybe you can speak to this, is I feel so bad and so much empathy for kids growing up now. I mean, it was pressure enough to just sort of feel like you were trying to fit into your immediate so circle of like you know the 30 other people in your class or whatever it was yes yes and now kids feel the pressure of not only i guess for lack of a better word competing with the rest of the world but also a fake idealized mm. warped distorted version 
yeah. of the world, the distorted version of what beauty is and popularity and fame and what, you know, like what significance, a distorted version of what it means to be significant. And I don't, I don't know how the fuck kid, I just don't know how the fuck they're doing it. Yeah, now. it seems, you know, we're right on the cusp of um, uh, my, my son's 11. So we'll see how the teenage years go. Mm-hmm. Um, so far we, we feel okay, but yeah, I, I talked about this, um, sort of j- subject, uh, while I was, after I made, uh, my film Searching, mm-hmm. and the, the, that film, the conceit of it was that I play a father whose teenage daughter goes missing, and he has to hack into her computer to find out where she might be, and discovers all these things, and realizes that she's been communicating with all these, uh, people that mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't know about and he has she has this, uh, a secret life and and my observation at the time was you know we used to tell our kids watch out for that creep who hangs out by the 7-Eleven right but now that creep at the 7-Eleven and all the other creeps in the world theoretically have access to your daughter in her bedroom through her phone and they can disguise like right. the creep at this you know the creep who's hanging out at the 7-Eleven you can look and go Oh, yeah. that guy's being creepy. Yeah. I have all these visual. I have all these cues yeah. that you know, or at least um, I don't know the a community watch or whatever. But like, where? What's the community watch? Yeah. On what's the community watch on the internet? Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. I'm realizing that that's redundant. Creep and hanging out at the Seven <laughs> Eleven. <laughs> just hanging out just, <laughs> when we were growing up there were not a lot of places to hang out it that's was true. 7-Eleven or a mall <laughs> yeah uh, and or, you throw a, you throw an arcade game at the 7-Eleven that's 8 hours that is a full day you yeah. know just a handful of quarters yeah. and you're just playing asteroids uh, all day long you know getting out of the house getting out from under your parents feet and uh, the other thing that's weird about being a kid today or maybe being a parent um, is I, I truly think we're the first generation that really sees that we can now see on the horizon the end of the world. <laughs> and it's really weird because a, a, one generation ago we thought this is going on forever. Maybe, now- but I feel like every generation talks about – I mean, you know, during the Industrial Revolution they must have said – this mm. is the end of days. Mm-hmm. Look what's happening to the cities. Look at all the smoke. Look at all of the disease. Look right, at all. Yeah. Then World War One. Oh my God, the world is in a war. This right. is the end of days. You know, the Great Depression, they must have looked and seen. It lasted 10 years. And the Great Depression rolls into World War Two. Another yeah. war, you know. So I, I wonder if, you know, it. it's the sort of... I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive, but is it the same story with different characters over and over and over mm, again? Maybe. But the stakes just keep seeming bigger and bigger. Right. Now, because of the internet, we are so acutely aware of everything that's going on at all times that we have a much more mm-hmm. clear, you know, a, a much greater view of the world than was than we ever had before. Okay, but well, let me let me posit this: Is it that in the previous generations we were looking at humankind and saying, "Boy, we are." We are terrible. Right. We, we kill each other. We can't stop killing each other. And we're depressed about that. And now it seems the end of the world is defined through our physical circumstance. Sure. So we're saying, boy, these rainforests are burning up. Like, this could be the end of all of us, you know. Maybe 2,000 years ago it was that, but it was a more mythological, like a right. more religious idea of like, well, mm-hmm. you know, because, like, let's say you, you know, go through like... um 
ten year famine or or there's a drought or something it's the gods are angry. I right. see the end of the world coming. Look at the crops. Look at this. Look at that. I mean, the struggle with mortality and the... I mean, we all... We have this mechanism in our brain that allows us to ignore the fact that we're all going to die. Yeah. That that I think is sort of helps keep us going, keeps us alive, gives us hopes, dreams, instead of just going, eh, fuck it, we're all going to be dead. I Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think... There seems to be just this is I, I don't know if the numbers are true. There seems to be kind of a baby boom in my generation of, of Gen X or Y or whatever I am. Um, I, We're Gen I, X. Gen X. Okay. Then the millennials are right after us. And now because they for lack of a better name, like your kids are Gen Z. OK, so it's so the Gen Zers are are growing up now. Yeah. People are still having children. Yeah. Which strikes me as a counter to what I proposed earlier. Maybe there is <laughs> some sort of optimism out there. Let me throw this out at you. Please. I think, you know, I drive around and I see these matte black SUVs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, everyone must imagine. They're like, they're like in their imagination, they're rolling over zombies in, those, <laughs> in these matte black Porsches. You know, it does look like a post-apocalypse car. Sure. Everyone's driving that tank in the desert in Mad Max. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I think there probably is a certain degree of that, that there is like an apocalypse chic. Yeah, apocalypse <laughs> that, that is a boutique on Melrose if I ever heard one. By the way, that would sell a lot. Uh, yeah, it would. You know, it's like, you know, it's a survivalist gear for people with an eye for fashion. You know, it's like, it's it's not, it, there, I feel like there is a melding of those worlds that has yet to right, happen. Right, that, right. You know, because you, you see that a lot in fashion there, you know, like there's a lot of stores that sell like you know, a fashion version of a motorcycle jacket or a fashion right, version right, right, of a right. military jacket. But it's like, you don't ride bikes and you're not in the military, yeah. but you want to sort of give off the... It's like it influences the fashion in some way. Yeah, that's right. I see all the... Uh, okay, so I follow... Uh, on. <laughs> I love watching... Seeing pictures of basketball players enter the arena. Yeah. Because <laughs> now it's like a red carpet event and they have all these... Uh, wonderful outfits on and uh i see guys wearing like things that look like tactical vests Mm -hmm. made by like louis vuitton yeah yeah and uh, what is that what is that what am i seeing here you know if you need to be in a combat situation but you still want to look good (laughs) you still you know like i feel like it sort of i would love it if in each of those pockets was not ammo but butterscotch candies (laughs) yeah yes yes butterscotch candies (laughs) caramels, uh, stale Tootsie Rolls that you can't get the paper off of, so you just sort of chew around. Green peppermints? Green peppermints. Uh, Just loose Tic Tacs in the purse at the bottom. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. 
Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. But I've been, I, I, I read a lot of like old stoic philosophy and what strikes me as interesting about it is that a lot of the same things that we feel as humans now you see reflected in writings from 2,000 years ago. Mm. Things that are true about humanity and people and human nature and... You know, um, what are some of these threads? What are the, some of the common threads? The common threads are about people struggling with the idea of placing their value in the external world versus, well, at least mm-hmm. it's stoicism anyway, versus like finding, you know, like you can't control the outside world, you can control how you respond to things, sort mm-hmm. of, um, you know, uh, not like p- people did the sort of. Uh, you know, spending beyond their means to try to give, you know, to put on airs, like all of those types of attention getting things like people have always done. And what are you, you know, what can you release Mm -hmm. and how much can you sort of like focusing on gratitude, focusing? I mean, there are just so many things that seem so applicable, like 2000 years later that it's like, Oh yeah, these are things people have always been struggling with. These aren't unique. We didn't invent these issues. You know, the, the, the filter on these issues is, different Mm -hmm. but the core issues a lot of the core issues are still the same it's still struggling with ego it's still you know struggling with being a good person you know peace versus war like all all how do you become a part of culture how do you retain your identity like it's it's pretty amazing that 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 this is really half-baked but i I would love to know what you think of this half-baked theory sure um that what we're seeing right now well, I, I start. Let me start at this place. What I think, what, what I like about what the internet has done to this uh, to this younger generation, is that it, um, because of the way it's laid out, you're thinking a lot about we mm-hmm. versus me. Right. That, that, that it's impossible not to think of yourself connected to other people. Right. You know. Um, whereas, sort of American capitalism has been built on. Me achieving. That's the 80s right there. Yeah, yeah greed know, is good. Getting up there. Yeah. Buying stuff. Yeah. Treating myself. Right. And, um, but, you know, pulling back, you're like looking at what the 80s, let's just say the 80s and that unfiltered kind of um, unchecked uh, 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 capitalism has done has resulted in, you're like, um, well, maybe we need to take a step back and say, well... What is good for us? Right. And that'll be good for me. I hope what you're saying is true because what worries me about the internet is that it 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 creates individualist it it, it creates such an individual bubble of basically reflecting and it, and amplifying your own belief system back to you because it wants to keep you as engaged mm-hmm. as possible. I think in a in in and I hope to a degree I, I really hope this is I hope it's true that it's helping people be more open-minded because they're being exposed mm-hmm. to different thoughts and ideas. But I hope that that we're not being delivered algorithmically so much of our own ideas that it is actually doing mm-hmm. the reverse, which is making people think that what they're seeing is the world. And, oh, I'm right because I see this yeah, article yeah. and that article and that article that agrees with me, so I'm right. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you're being delivered that because it knows that you want to – the algorithm knows you're going to read those things and engage mm-hmm. with those things rather than, hey, let's all have conversations <laughs> and understand – you know, does do, it does, does the internet promote understanding? That's what I hope. I hope that we start coming to that place. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really. Uh, I, I I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't Does either. It? Because I mean, I you could argue very vigorously for yes and for no. Sure. Um, and I don't know which to believe. I mean, it, it goes... Hopefully it nets positively. Hopefully is in as much as maybe the bad stuff, that ultimately it's better It's better overall. I mean, I do think, you know, obviously more than in any other time in history, people are exposed to more um, diverse ideas and cultures and mm-hmm. seeing other people as human and not us and them and we, like mm-hmm. you said. I mean, that's that's sort of the hope. And I just yeah. hope that people... <laughs> You know, don't do what hu- – sometimes humans can't have nice things. Yeah, right. Because it's like – it's the handful of assholes theory. It's like a fucking handful of assholes will ruin everything for the, for everyone. Yeah. And I hope that a handful of assholes don't ruin everything for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> handful of assholes. Another good boutique on that list. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm doing some urban planning right now. Yeah, and and you now you have a book title acting as my pole. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot has really come out. Is there anything else that you would do? Like, is there anything else that you like doing that you um, that you see yourself like? Oh, you know, like I love acting, but I kind of have this side hobby. Or someday, if I don't feel like doing it anymore, I'm gonna go do X or Y. Wow. Um. You know, I could imagine myself also doing something non-creative and enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, just the idea of our dads going to work, Mm -hmm. you know, punching out at five. Yeah. And going, I'm I'm not thinking about that. Right. Till I get there. Right. You know, not even on the drive. When I sit at my desk, I'll do my job. Right. And there's something about the way our vocations work that is very draining because it takes up so much of your yeah time away from it and and um and you obsess and you th- you're thinking okay. and I love it on the other hand I could I could really see myself just <laughs> just punching in at a furniture store <laughs> and then punching out yeah and I think that is why you know that sort of old trope about like the old guy who's like, just simplify your life. You don't need yeah. to worry about all that shit. Is because at a certain point in your life, you realize like, oh yeah, I was all tweaked up about all this stuff, and it turns out none of it mattered. Yeah, <laughs> like life was just going to be whatever life was going to be. But I just thought, oh, I got to you know. And especially with performer, we're not just performers anymore. We're like we're writers, we're directors, and wow. fucking marketers yeah. now. Like it's not, and so there's a lot. There's a lot to think about, but. My suspicion and what I hope is that, you know, because you have a nice family and kids, that that keeps you grounded. Like, that's the grounding element that keeps you from spinning oh, yeah. out of control. And well, there's always weird... hugs and kisses when you get home. And, like, that does um, really for, for, – I mean, I would say it makes almost everything better. Right. You know, so um, – so that's that's definitely there. You know, it occurs to me that it's so interesting that our while the business, our businesses, and these corporations have become much more vertical. Mm-hmm. We, the employees, have had to become much more horizontal. You know, like Disney c- controls the product, 
and the the theme park and the right. IP and and the delivery system right. and soon the machines that you right. watch it on all this stuff and they go ver- totally vertical. Meanwhile, we have to act. We have to. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, we we have to look good in pictures. We have to yeah. tweet. We you know all this stuff because we are the kind of stratified layers that help right, build yeah, that vertical. Build, yeah. Oh, that's a really but we have to get idea. wider and wider and wider and they just go. Oh, you know what? We're just gonna keep going. Out. <laughs> How many more things could they buy? I mean, at this point, does someone step in and go, yeah, you're done. Yeah, Mickey, right. take it down. And, and you know, I'm a Disney fan, like my wife, and I go to Disneyland several times a year. Like, I buy into it. I, I get it, you know? Like, I feel like, Well, you, you know, know, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, and I said, I, I grew up uh, being a fan of Disney movies. I like the movies from Disney that I liked. Right. And therefore, I wanted to go to Disneyland. Right. But I also didn't think of myself as a Disney person. Right. You know, which is, in a way, I've, I've seen that kind of brand awareness arrive so hard post-internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's almost, you know, when we were kids, uh, branding would be a would have all kinds of bad connotations. I don't even we didn't even think in those terms. Like the word branding didn't right. even exist. It was I mean I, seriously, I feel like it's it's pretty people are going to you know kind of um change their names for a brand for for a uh, money. Totally. You know, it's going to be John Verizon Cho. To- <laughs> uh Not, listen, Coincidentally, it is my name. That is I'm glad you're here to announce that. <laughs> I think it's my poll by John Horizon <laughs> Joe. Yeah, but 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 sponsoring, I mean, in a way, well, that's the other weird thing I've been thinking about just in terms of sponsorship is, is I've been thinking about like, you know, if someone pays you to say something, people tend to be more suspicious of it, right? Not suspicious, right, yeah. but they go, oh, well, you know, like they kind of take it a little bit with a grain of salt. Well, you know, this big corporation paid that person to say that stuff. And I was thinking about social media and essentially... We're all paid in likes, yeah, which right. is, I would argue that attention has just as much, if not more value than money to a lot of people. Yeah. So if people are chasing likes, can you fully trust everything that they're putting on their social media? Because they're all technically sponsored by the platform that is providing them with that that drug of attention, you know? Yeah. Like, are we... Are these? Is it authentic? Is it an authentic platform, or is it is it being paid in attention? And therefore, does that kind of let me go a step further? Please. I mean, let me suggest that you know we're living in a different economy where our currency is likes. Totally, it's just attention, you know? yeah. And that's and people are now kind of arranging their lives. They're becoming industrious. Yep. To accrue attention, this capital, yeah, attention, yeah. You know, and it's a bizarre economy now that you know you can't. And 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 maybe we're um, a few years away from a real strong relationship between likes and actual money. Right. But we're not that far away. Oh, my God. You're blowing my mind because it's especially – it's you know, that Black Mirror episode with Bryce Dallas Howard was – did you, did you know the I one didn't see it. Okay. So basically it's, you know, it's the society in which – Everyone rates each other all the time, and so everyone has, like, a, a rating. And people with high ratings have more privilege than people with lower ratings, because if you have a bad experience with someone, they can rate you. So it's about the societal pressures of what happens when we're ruled yeah. by this, by this, by this likability metric, this fake likability metric. And so what you're saying is... is it, I, I totally can see it happening, is that at a certain point... 
does does a like become a currency like money that you can purchase things that it's a credit because right. we don't use physical money as often anymore anyway yeah. so what you know like the economy shift to likes is and that and to a degree that is what's happening because you know it's like someone can play a beautiful concerto but then like a video of you know a guy I don't know, getting farted on by an elephant gets more likes. And so to a certain degree, does he have more significance? Does he have more wealth, you know, because of that than this person who spent 20 years like perfecting a concerto? Like, and and the answer is, I don't know. Can people tell the difference? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a kind of real time example of it in China right now, which is, you know, I may be misspeaking. I'm not an NPR reporter, but I think that they have <laughs> instituted a citizenship uh, sort of scale there. And so, like, all the things you do, uh, like, for instance, shoplifting would go against you. And um, it all kind of uh, 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 leads to whether you get um, um, treated well or poorly. So people are getting government. yelped, basically. Yeah, it's like yelped, a, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like a Yelp review for for people, right? Or like not a review, but like a. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, that is kind of what the. I mean, the government true. is imposing that in that instance, but in in a way, I'd say we're we're imposing it on ourselves here. You know, totally. So it's private run. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because we. It's difficult for us, because to 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 take the time to get to know every person understand them on a deep nuanced level then make a decision about them there's just too much for most people to process at any one time so this simple metric oh that got that many likes there there ergo that must be more significant in some way it's like well i don't but i don't know if that's always the kind of significance that is quality significance there's no I, I'm concerned that there's more of a quantitative significance than a qualitative significance. Sure, yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit like to me, like you know, um, in, in, living in a capitalist society. I've always thought it's very interesting. The American spirit, and again, I go back to my immigrant mm-hmm. uh, observations of America. But we're so generous. Americans are so generous, and we and and there's so many charities, and people love giving to genuinely. Uh, feel good about giving to charities and helping and volunteering. It's so, it's such a beautiful part mm-hmm. of of our national culture. The problem with it, as I see it, is that sort of the cuter things, the more attractive problems get addressed, uh, and um, the, the, the 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 people who are not as sexy or not as glamorous, prob- diseases that are not as glamorous, or th- those get short shrift, and so it's not database. It's not you know right. what's all what's good for the society. It's it's all based upon individual impulse, and so maybe we've been doing it for a long time. I wonder if gener I wonder if Generation Z is going to because there are still millennials who remember a pre. You know, just a hint of a pre-internet yeah, era, yeah. but Gen Z is like in it. Yeah, right. You know, if your if your son is eleven, you know, yeah. he was born in two thousand nine yeah, or ten, yeah. and we were just we were well into this. Social media was in full effect in two thousand nine yeah, yeah. or ten, and everything, you know, streaming services like everything. It's just a part of their culture, and so do they. Do they have a certain immunity to it because they don't? 
know another world without it and do they evolve beyond that or Mm -hmm. do they go deeper i honestly don't know i I do think this is just going to be such a fascinating period to deconstruct in like a century when we look back you know and sort of the way that we look back at the 20s and 30s and oh my god people were so stupid they were you know like they put asbestos everywhere and they didn't you know they, they just didn't know and now you know, is social media our asbestos, or or is internet this sort of yeah. boy, this weird psychological drug? You know that people didn't realize was actually like ripping apart the fabric of it. Started all the intentions started great, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly just don't. I, I have no predictions for what sociologists yeah. will look back at this period of time. Maybe and, the internet is our quaaludes. Maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> you know, maybe everyone got into quaaludes for a while, and, and now I don't know anyone who takes quaaludes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, like in the you know in the fifties and sixties, like doctors were smoking. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, in right. the early nineteen hundreds, they gave heroin to kids as a cough suppressant they and did, cocaine. Really? Yeah, yeah, it worked. Uh, yeah, it but uh, it had some real bad side effects. But then also cocaine. Like you know, when things yeah, when like things start as well intentioned, and then once people start using it en masse, then you then only then can you be like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This went in a direction that we hadn't foreseen. So, I don't know. It's tough to say, right? Yeah. It oh, is. Oh, but I, we, should, we should nail down something, though. Oh, On this podcast is... Well... Oh, we should solve this for people. Okay, so... <laughs> balance. Create balance. Have conversations in real life. Yeah. And eat kale. And eat kale. <laughs> kale. That's it. All you got to do is eat kale. <laughs> In the end, we realize. By the way, why did kale become a thing? It's a garnish. Isn't that like know. eating parsley? It is weird to see, you know, to, to witness uh, vegetable fashion. God, I have tried so hard to really. I know kale is good for you. I have really tried. Mm. And I've tried to say, like, you know, you're eating this for your health. Don't worry about how it tastes. Mm. It doesn't matter what dressing I put on it. It just, mm. my body does not enjoy it. Are you a kale person? If that is, if kale is the answer, I'm doomed. I'm just fine with kale. <laughs> you're okay with it. I'm just you're fine indifferent. with it. Yeah. I, it is I'm like just a- fine with kale as the follow-up <laughs> look. <laughs> Two acting is my fault. <laughs> Just like with Kale. By John Cho, with Mindy Kaling. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it is a curiously American thing, too, to think, eat healthy, which is shows... I, I just don't know if other people in the world think of that every, at every meal. Well, I just think we, in America, we tend to... And obviously not growing up in another country, I don't know how other countries really are on a molecular level in terms of their cultural conversations. But we really do tend to be all or nothing as as the larger, Hmm. the sort of the larger the group, the more binary the thinking and the more all or nothing it becomes. And so and we just want like simple solutions to complex problems. We just want to say like eat kale and you'll live long. Yeah. Do this and you'll always have this. You know, like take this and that. Then it's the if if X then Y. We just want that. But you know, it's like saying that you want that that you want an addition solution to a calculus problem. Yeah, right. And that a lot goes. You know, a lot of micro choices, a lot of little things go into the success of something. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're gonna have to be okay that things are complicated and not that simple. Right. I remember reading a, an article about these um, 
Greek, uh, what do you call people who live past 100? Uh, centenarians. Centenarians, yeah. These Greek centenarians. And, um, you know, at first the research was like, what are they eating? Right. That's allowing them to live so long. But, um, I mean, I think the writer was arguing that there's so many other things that could actually be much more important. For instance, um, the fact that they lived in a small community, mm-hmm. that they all knew one another, right? that they all worshipped, you know, right. um, that, that there was a church that they all went to, that, um, or that, you know, in like the Japanese model, that they're appreciated culturally as they get older mm-hmm. versus here where we sort of throw old people to the side right. of the road, you right. know? So you, you enter old age thinking, yes. Right. You know, you know fist pumping. Right. You know, versus we're, we're old. We fear is, it. We fear it. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't want to become irrelevant. Yeah, I don't want yeah. to be a burden. I don't want to be this. I yeah. don't want to be What's that. What's the greatest compliment in America? You look so young. Right. You know? And, right. Um, so. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the opposite. Oh, my God, John, what have you done? You look so old. You, How do you look do it? so you old. You look so old. <laughs> I cannot get over how old you look. <laughs> <laughs> and there's filters where we're just like adding lines to our. Can you Photoshop some lines? On I don't my want cheeks? to embarrass you, but you look decrepit. <laughs> you have really let yourself go. I don't know what you're I doing. Mean, you look like you're you a whisper doing? away from death. You must be eating a lot of shit. What's your secret? <laughs> I mean, I just don't. I don't know. Or, or, or you, you know, like the Mediterranean diet because yeah, it's right. fish and it's vegetables. But you know, in America, we just like everything is so processed because it just you, you know, like they're just mass producing everything. Sure. So. I don't know. I do tend to think it's the mind-body balance, you know? Like, people have healthy mental attitudes that correspond with a healthy community and a healthy diet. Sure, yeah. And then some people also just have the right genes. Where It's just like Brad Pitt. He just happens to be stunning and talented. Some people just happen to have the <laughs> genes. Where, you know, like George Burns smoked cigars and drank alcohol <laughs> yeah, all the yeah. time and he lived to be 100. I don't know. I will speak to one segment of that, which was I thought, you know, uh, as as we established, I moved around a lot as a kid and never felt like I knew my neighbors. And as an adult now with children, I've lived in the same place for 10 years and in the same house and um, got to know all my neighbors. And it is a completely different existence Mm -hmm. when you know who lives next, uh, everyone up and down your street. Yeah. And I just live in, you know, in my little neighborhood in a huge city. And for some reason, the quality of my life is vastly improved by knowing the names of the people who live on my street. And see, I think that is the, what you're talking about is what the Internet promises us. Right. A right. sense of community, which to a degree mm. is true. But I just don't believe that anything is a substitute for like... IRL human bonding and IRL community and forcing yourself to get out. I mean, it's obviously effort to go up and down and meet all your neighbors. I am John. This is my family. I am trusting you enough to talk to you. Maybe maybe some of these people are assholes. Who knows? Here's a headshot. You're welcome. <laughs> you, want to, you want to sign it, the milk, the milk guy? The milk guy. Uh, there's not like a. There's not like there's a going back from the internet. I mean, it, there would have to be like some kind of mini apocalypse no, yeah. that didn't wipe everyone out, but technology just sort of imploded, and yeah. a bunch of people would lose their fucking. I even thought about like if Twitter just came out or any social media platform just came out and said, "Hey guys, 
we're going to get rid of likes and retweets because we're concerned that people are just misusing it. I think there would be a fucking his like there would be right like people would lose their minds. Yeah, people would purchase, go to Home Depot and purchase torches and pitchforks. <laughs> And take to the street. I don't know how to light these because it's a real thing that people do in life, but I'll just wave the stick. I don't know. I, I, I need to find a YouTube video. And how do you light a torch? I don't know how this works. I feel bad because we, we I mean, this has been such an enjoyable conversation with you, John, and, but I, we still haven't talked about the grudge at all. Oh, that's, that's all right. I will front load the podcast with mentioning the grudge, the, the, the grudge which, yeah. you know, as horror fans my wife and I are very excited about so just if there's anything you want to talk about it or pitch about it or throw out there no as, I as will we... say um, uh, just, the, just my, the, the reason I did it and the reason I've, I'm sort of a latecomer to horror in general but um, what I found fascinating about this script was um, it, it, <laughs> it featured uh, a bunch of adults going through very adult issues mm-hmm. And horror was what made this movie possible, these stories possible, because mm-hmm. horror is the ingenue, right? You know, and it, and and I was so grateful for it because there is, um, I mean, we talked about the changing nature of our industry, and it's harder and harder to get an adult drama made, right? But you can do it in horror, right? It's the it's it's a secret. It's really <laughs> it's really fantastic, um, and uh, so I. That's what drew me in, um, and I think that's the part of the movie I like the best that we achieved that. And that you're sort of you're like almost sneaking some life stuff in there, mm-hmm. but yeah. then there's horror stuff that sort of decorating it around yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And also, I guess you know, um, my other thought is that like it is an interesting time as we consider. You know, I, I don't want to. Uh, wherever, whatever side of the aisle you're on, it's. I think everyone's starting to think about like good and evil mm-hmm. again in a in a new, different way. Right. You know, is that per because of the polarized nature of our country and what what this online discourse has brought? We go. It's very, it's very common now more than ever to say good. I'm good. They're bad. Right. You know. And right. uh, and I guess to me, horror is. I don't. I, I, maybe this is highfalutin. I just feel like it's a. It's an appropriate time. It's a complete for. distillation of good and evil because that's, yes. you know, like that's sort of what horror, horror is very much about. You know, there's a protagonist and then a very antagonistic antagonist. Yeah. And maybe the antagonist has a, you know, like, oh well, you know, they this demon was horribly murdered in real life, and now right. they're acting out. You go, okay, I guess I, you know, okay, all right, but. It, you're right. It it does sort of it makes it very clear, yeah. like where you. Although you know the the horror thing that's really funny to me is is when the is when horror villains almost become these like snarky antiheroes. Right. Yeah. It's like you know the Freddy Krueger, yeah. uh, you know, uh, taking out the trash, and everyone yeah. laughs, and it's like. He's a child murderer. <laughs> he literally murdered children. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, Freddy. It's like, like when you see like kids dress up as Freddy for Halloween, it's like, 
He murders children. <laughs> what What are you doing? To review, <laughs> murdering children is the worst thing. <laughs> the, literally the worst. A child murderer, no good. I think every we all agree. It's yeah, worse on, than killing an adult, right? Whatever okay. side you're on, I think we can all agree. Ex- unless you're a child murderer, you think murdering children is bad. I, I, you know, I, I don't even know if child murderers... Yeah, like child. You got me on this one. Yeah, yeah. This is what I'm doing is not great. Okay, you got me. You got me. But I'm glad anyway. we're 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 excited to see it. And I and I honestly hope that. I mean, anytime you want to come back, or if you just want to, I don't know. I'm going to give you my email. And anytime, I I just you're you're such a thoughtful, kind person. And I think you know through the choices that you make, you do lead by example. You know more than just. You know, sometimes people will say things with their words and maybe not necessarily lead by example, but it feels like you live the things that you talk about. And I think that's incredibly admirable and I appreciate it. Listen, I'm just dancing on the pole. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, the song's almost over. Do you want to, uh, you're going to stuff a dollar in my underwear or are we going to. Four Bon Jovi songs, Chris. Um... (laughs) Slippery Wind, what's a great album? Come on, act. Act. We'll go back in the champagne room and you can act (laughs) thanks so much thanks john good to see you cheers the end (laughs) that was the id tenty podcast number 1042 with mr john cho thank you to john cho for coming uh and being a phenomenal guest on the podcast and now uh it's time for idiot rap that's what i'm calling it this week so here we go uh obviously it's the beginning of the year january 2020 right now but this is applicable to any Any time of the year, you know, obviously people write down their resolutions and they want to change and they want to think about stuff and they want to, you know, figure out how to improve their lives, which is a common thing uh, when the calendar flips. And so here's what I've been thinking about a lot. Almost a decade ago, I wrote a book um, which sort of outlined like sort of gamifying your um, self-improvement, I suppose. And one of the ideas was that, like, when you play a game like D&D, you, you have a moral and ethical axis, right? So you can be lawful good or chaotic neutral or lawful evil or chaotic evil. You can pick a moral and ethical axis. And this sort of helps accelerate gameplay in the sense that it just gives your character a little bit more of a kind of a one-dimensional view of that world. So it kind of informs, it helps inform, like, what types of decisions you make when you are confronted with things you know, like, well, my character has this ethical and moral access, so odds are this is the kind of choice that he or she would make. And this is good because it just allows you to sort of navigate the game quickly and easily. And so I kind of thought, like, oh, wh- you know, what if we could sort of simplify how we, how we view ourselves sometimes to kind of automate some of the ways that we problem-solve and approach so sort of related to that, what I like to do uh, each the beginning of each year, I don't know if this may sound totally stupid. I think I may have actually mentioned this in the book too, but I sort of like to have like a theme word or two for the year. And they're just like words that I fall back on that sort of guide me in directions that I want to go. So like these are a few, these are, these are a few words that I'm going to embarrassingly reveal to you um, that I'm sort of thinking about this year. So one word is autonomy because I sort of like the idea of like, you know, creating things that, 
I'm not only responsible for, but that are kind of mine that like no one else can sort of, you know, like it's a very mercurial business right now. And the television business, as you probably heard me talk about on the podcast, is very all over the place because of all these streaming services and a lot of companies aren't even exactly sure what types of shows they're going to do and what they're buying and what they're going to make and stuff. So it just started making me think like, you know, I love stand up because that's a very autonomous thing to do. I can just go perform when I feel like it. I love that. I love podcasts. It's a very autonomous thing to do because I can just make them and I can just put them up directly, you know, like send them out directly to people and they don't rely on, uh, you know, other companies or big companies, Sort of saying like you can do this, you can't do that. You know, the, our our programming needs are changing, so we're not going to do this type of thing anymore. It just sort of, I don't know. It just it allows me to sort of create in a bubble of my own making, which I really like. So autonomy is a word that I that I like for this year. Um, uh, incremental is a word that I like for this year because you know, in taking you know like piano and guitar and voice lessons and stuff. I know that the improvement is incremental and I think incremental change is actually more powerful and more lasting than trying to make big changes all at once. Because with incremental, you just show up a little bit at a time each day. It's, or, you know, whatever the time period is. Um, It accumulates and compounds over time. And much like compound interest eventually like really takes off and you see like a really steep improvement curve. But also, it's just like I'm not trying to take on everything at once. I'm a, I, I'm biting off like manageable sizes, uh, and also it allows me to work on you know a handful of different things that I'm each day just sort of making small little deposits toward, and I really like that. I just think incremental change is really powerful, and it's something that I want to embrace this year, so that I don't you know go. Oh, you know, I could write a script, but it's just, uh, I can't do it in like a weekend. No, I don't have to. If I want to write something, I'll write a little bit each day. And then, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, I will have a wealth of material before I even actually knew uh, what was actually, (laughs) before I even realized what was happening. So incremental is a second word. Gratitude is a big word. And I know everyone says like, well, be, you know, like gratitude is good. Feel grateful. But even just in the moments where my brain is kind of idling, I'll just go, you know what? It just feels really great to be here right now in this period of time, being present, looking around, noticing like what color is the sky right now? What a gorgeous color. What's around me? The the, the gratitude sort of spills me into being present. And so I kind of take these three words and then in any sort of, you know, like as whatever, as life, as I as I navigate life, I can just sort of remind myself that these are kind of three, maybe not strictly guiding words, but just words that I sort of fall back on that help kind of inform the types of decisions I make, the types of things that I choose to do, how I spend my time. You know, if I'm, if, if my brain is just sort of idling, then I'm not like, you know, just being negative about stuff. Cause I go, Oh wait, gratitude. That's a word I'm going to fall back on. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be grateful about this right now. Um, and in a way, it's almost like, I don't know, if you guys have ever tried TM, Transcendental Meditation, they give you a mantra word, but it's not supposed to mean anything. It's just supposed to pull your brain back when your mind starts to wander, when you're sort of drifting off to remind you that you're meditating. And so it's sort of like that. They're not like mantra words, these these three words that I'm kind of leaning into this year, but they're just sort of thematically like the types of things. And your words can be anything. It can be like fantastical. I want to do fantastical things this year so that it 
you know, th- then you start kind of making choices in that direction. Uh, and it all sort of ties back to the D&D thing because it just sort of simplifies and crystallizes the sort of thematic ideas that you are interested in manifesting and can kind of send you in those directions. So I hope any of this made sense. I hope I don't sound like a lunatic talking about like the words that I fall back on, but I just think it's like a fun, easy way to sort of remind yourself throughout the year which directions you want to go in and how your choices are informed by those directions and sort of keeping you on path. And by the way, they can change at any time. You know, maybe you'll change your mind or maybe there you have different ideas. And so it's just sort of, you know, maybe your word is like consistency. So whatever you do, you just remember like, because we always have to remind ourselves of things, you know, like you don't just have an idea about how you should live your life and then you never have to think about it again. You constantly have to remind yourself just like. You know, if you're into fitness, you need to go to the gym all the time. Or if you're into flexibility, you still have to stretch all the time. You don't just stretch once and it's done, <laughs> you know. So that's it. Uh, hopefully any of this was helpful to you. I hope you're enjoying Idiot Rap. And uh, I hope to see you at any of the upcoming Wizard Guitar Tour shows. Go to wizardguitar.com for tickets and info to see if I'm coming to your city. And uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you in your ears real soon. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, Dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.